We're in a series right now called uh, Taboo, and uh, it's a series about topics that we normally wouldn't talk about in church. It's about uh, topics that sometimes make us a little bit uncomfortable, topics that can make us a little uneasy, topics that might be controversial, topics that we just don't normally go to on a Sunday morning. But we're going to be spending the next several months, or several weeks, not months, but several weeks talking about some taboo topics. And it's important that we bring these up because I think a lot of times the church doesn't talk about certain things because they're uncomfortable talking about them. And as a result, people who are maybe stuck in these different areas and are being held captive by these different areas aren't experiencing the freedom that Jesus came to bring because they're not hearing the truth of what God's word has to say about these, these topics. And so this morning we're going to be talking about something that is very personal for me. Um, it's, it's just, it is a part of my journey as a follower of Jesus. Um, on November 13th, 2006, so almost 10 years ago, in desperation I wrote these words in my journal. Help me, Jesus, to quit. Help me to be able to stand up to the temptation. This habit is insatiable. No matter how much I win, no matter how good I get, no matter how much money I spend, I have to do it more. And two and a half years earlier, while I was on a road trip with some friends, they'd introduced me to um, the exciting world of Texas Hold'em, America's most popular version of poker. And I quickly learned from my friends all about flushes and uh, river cards and turn cards and pocket aces and uh, all those kinds of different poker deals, small blinds, big blinds. And at first, we, uh, the guys and I was on a, we were, I was playing, I was in part of this, this uh, punk rock band, a little bit of my past, might have not known about. But I was, I, at first, me and the guys were just kind of playing for some pennies. But one night, at a guy's night out, we decided, okay, we're going to add some some money into the pot, and all the different, there was about seven guys there, we all added 10 bucks in, and the winner of that night, whoever was the last one with their chips, took home the $70 pot at the end of the night. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing the right card on the, on the river, if you know what poker terms at all, all of a sudden seeing the right card, though, brought with it this exciting rush of adrenaline. And I'll never forget what one guy, one of the guys said that night as we were sitting around there, I just was brand new at, at poker. But one of the guys there, um, I was a pastor at the time, another pastor actually looked around the room and he said, hey guys, just so you know, um, this is the gateway right here to gambling addiction, so be careful. And all of us, including myself, were just like, yeah, right, addicted to poker, whatever. Well, it wasn't long after this that one of the guys in the band uh, introduced me to online Texas Hold'em. And now I didn't have to wait for guys night out to be able to play with just a credit card, a username, and a password, I could play poker anytime that I wanted. And I quickly became totally consumed with poker. And when I wasn't actually playing poker, I was reading books by some of the poker greats like Doyle Brunson and Phil Gordon. Um, when I wasn't reading books and playing poker, I was, I was watching poker on TV. I would spend hours and hours and hours and hours playing or watching poker. I became good enough at it to actually win um, a fair amount of money. But if you have any experience with gambling, you know that at the end of the day, who always wins? The house always wins. And the crazy thing about poker is that I never once in those first few years thought that I had an addiction. Not for a single minute. I convinced myself that I could stop any time, 
convinced myself that it was just a hobby, um, but pretty soon the warning signs started going off left and right, signs indicating that this was no longer a recreational activity, but that this had become a deadly addiction that had me enslaved. Scripture says this, it says, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So no matter what it is, if it's your master, if it controls you, you're enslaved to it. It's an addiction. And the warning signs of addiction were everywhere in my life, but I just, I just chose to ignore them. The signs in my life were the same that signs that pop up whenever someone is addicted to anything. Um, some signs you might be addicted. You're unable to control how much you use it. You don't master it. It masters you. And as I started to lose lots of money, I knew I needed to stop, but I couldn't. I kept coming back to it. Um, if you've made one serious attempt to try to quit something, but you've been unsuccessful, there's a good chance that you might be addicted to it. Another sign you might be addicted is that even though it might cause you or others harm, you continue doing it anyways. My gambling addiction left me hollow. It left me empty. It left me depressed. It was affecting my work. It was affecting my, my finances. And, and most tragic of all is it was affecting my family. Becky and I had this huge distance that was forming between us. She would go to bed all by herself almost every single night. Um, it was affecting my kids. They were being ignored. I knew it was causing me and my family harm, but I just couldn't stop, which made me even more depressed, um, caused even more despair to come into my life. But I had found just the right thing to get rid of the, the despair and the hopelessness, another winning hand at poker. Another winning, uh, warning sign of addiction is that it causes you to become, uh, begin making social and or recreational sacrifices. So rather than be with my friends and family, I wanted to be online playing cards. Uh, recently, we just moved into a new house two, a few months ago now with my family, and uh, uh, our, my, myself, Becky, and our oldest kids, we've all got data packages on our phone, and so we weren't in any rush to get Wi-Fi hooked up. And it was probably about six weeks after we moved into our house that my, my, my oldest kids were saying, hey, Dad, we've got to get our Wi-Fi hooked up. And, and finally, they asked, why do, you, why do we got to get our Wi-Fi hooked up? You guys have data packages on your phone, all that kind of stuff. We don't really need Wi-Fi. I was shocked by the answer I got. One of them said, well, some of our friends don't have data packages on their phones, and they don't want to come over to our house because at our place they can't use their Instagram and Snapchat accounts. You begin making sacrifices with family and friends. Rather go with, they'd rather go with, without their friends than go without their habit. Another sign that you might be addicted is that you always make sure you have a good supply of it even if you don't have much money. So if you've got chocolate stashed in the bedroom, in the living room, in the bathroom, in the office, in the car, in the boat, in the garage, in the backpack, you might have an issue, just saying. Another sign is that you, you do it in secret in order to hide how much it controls you. So once Becky, my wife, was onto my poker addiction, we weren't calling it that at the time, but once she was onto it, I did everything I could to hide it. I'd stay up late. Um, often I would stay up until 3 or 4 in the morning, even though I had to be at work the next day at 7. Um, I'd play it while I was at the office. I found myself secretly hoping that on days off that she would, she would have to actually leave the house and maybe go on a trip that would last four or five hours so that I could, I could, I could play poker without her around. I could be guilt-free. 
Another sign is that whenever you try to quit, you experience withdrawal symptoms, cravings, bad temper, inability to focus, depression, insomnia, anxiety, and frustration. Common withdrawal symptoms of anybody trying to quit an addiction. All things that I experienced trying to quit poker. Another warning sign is that you find yourself obsessing over it. Even when you're not doing it, it has such a hold on you. You're so enslaved to it that all you can think about is when you can get back to your addiction again. So I'd be trying to sleep, but I couldn't sleep because I, I would just, my mind was just going a thousand miles an hour thinking about being able to get on the computer and play my next hand of poker. Whenever I was around family and friends, I wasn't really around family and friends. Because in the back of my head, even though I'd be trying to have a conversation with somebody, all I could think about was, was that next hand of poker. I was obsessed. If there's a pattern in your life of, of, of obsessing over something, that's a big sign of addiction. Another sign is you, that you might be addicted, last sign that we're going to look at this morning, is that you have many or most of the above signs of addiction and yet deny that you might have a problem. You have convinced yourself that it's not an addiction, that you can control it, that you have it mastered, but what's really going on, going on is you're simply in denial. You're covering up the truth that you've got an addiction problem by lying to yourself that you don't. That's denial. One out of eight Americans are addicted to something. And there's, there's a lot of addictions out there, but the ten most common addictions, um, according to multiple, multiple different resources, the ten most common addictions in no particular order are as follows. The first one is alcohol. It's likely that every one of us in this room knows at least one person who has been devastated by addiction to alcohol. Another one is tobacco, whether that's cigarettes, e-cigs, chews, cigars. Um, tobacco is responsible, still to this day, with deadly warning labels on packages, is responsible for 8.8% of global deaths. That's a staggering number. Another addiction, a close relative of tobacco, is drugs, both illegal and prescription. Um, oxycodone and Vicodin have become one of the most common drugs among youth. Probably the most common drug in the Pacific Northwest, one that's 100% legal, is a drug that doesn't even begin with the letter M. Instead, it begins with the letter C. Any idea what that drug might be? Caffeine. It seems to be the only addiction that we find acceptable. Um, gambling is another addiction. Lottery tickets, football pools, raffles, pull tabs in, in pubs, bingos, casino, all on the rise with increasing accessibility and increasing acceptability. Another common addiction is food. If you can't control what or how much you eat, if you obsess about your weight and exercise, if you binge and then get rid of the binge through vomiting or exercise or laxatives, if you eat differently in private than you do in public, if you eat to escape negative feelings, if you feel hopeless about your relationship with food, you might have an addiction to food. Another one is video games. This isn't a, just a teenager problem. 44% of gamers are between 18 and 49. And when you start spending several hours a day um, using sick days and vacation days to play, neglecting friends, neglecting family to play, you've got trouble on your hands. Um, number seven, addiction, uh, internet. You're checking your Facebook first thing in the morning, checking it an hour later. You're checking it at lunch. You're checking it at break. As soon as you get off work, before you go to bed, you've got to check. Just me talking about it this morning is making you answer. You've got to check. Your phone's in your pocket. You're going, oh, well, now I've got to check my Facebook account or my social media account because I just got to know what's going on. 
I have a friend who recently had a family member in rehabilitation down south. And uh, he told me, he said, Rich, you're not going to believe what almost half of the kids were there for. They weren't there for alcohol addiction or drug addiction. They were there for technology addiction. Social media is cleverly designed to get you addicted. Your Facebook notification bar has a little red mark with five, the number five in it. And who doesn't want to know what five people are saying about you, right? So you, you click on it. And then there's the headline news feed. You know how it's, it's uh, perfectly tailored through Facebook's algor- algor- uh, the word, algorithms to know exactly what it is that you're interested in. The headline won't read, Patty LaBelle's pies are selling for $40.99 on eBay. Instead, it will say, you won't believe how much Patty LaBelle's pies are selling for on eBay. And then you just got to check because that's when FOMO kicks in. You know what FOMO is, right? Fear of missing out. You go, I got to know what Patty LaBelle's pies are selling for because if I don't know, then I'm going to get to work in the morning and everybody's going to be talking about Patty LaBelle's pies and I'm going to be the only loser left out of the conversation. You just got to check. By the way, that's actually, that hap- actually happened. Patty LaBelle's pies selling for $40.99 on eBay. The internet quickly becoming an addiction. And I think we're way overdue on calling this one what it actually is. Another addiction is sex. This could be addiction to the actual act itself. You'll do whatever you can to get it, or it could be an addiction to pornography. Statistics tell us that 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. And uh, we're quick to go, this is a guy problem. It's not just a guy problem. 30% are women, 70% are men. The average age a child first sees porn online is age 11. That's the average age. 25% of all search engine requests are pornographic with the word sex being the number one topic for internet searches. And here's where the stats get really tragic. Pornography increases the marital infidelity rate by 300%. 56% of divorce cases involved one person having an obsessive interest in porn. And severe clinical depression was reported twice as frequently among internet pornography users compared to non-users. This one is becoming epidemic. Another addiction is shopping. And we all overspend on occasion, but this is referring to compulsive shoppers, people who get into serious financial trouble with with shopping, and it actually puts their relationships at risk. Um, And then rounding out the list of top top 10 addictions, it's quite possibly the only addiction that we considered, considered virtuous in America, and that's work. We see overwork as being a positive characteristic. We see the person that works, 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 works. That's all they do. We look at that and go, wow, what a, what a hard worker. But in reality, overwork destroys physical, emotional, and spiritual health, and it destroys relationships. And this list includes only the top 10 addictions. It says nothing about all the other addictions out there. But there's a few things you got to know about addiction. The first one is this. Addicts come in all shapes and sizes, from CEOs to homeless street people, white collar and blue collar, rich and poor, teachers, construction workers, engineers, and pastors. No one is immune to the dangers of addiction. And make no mistake about it, addiction whether it's pornography, whether it's social media, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, whatever the addiction might be, that addiction is dangerous. 
Addiction leads to depression. It leads to anxiety. Um, it can rob you of the purpose for which God created you for. It'll steal away the precious few moments that you have with your kids. It'll prevent you from enjoying time with friends and family. It destroys marriages. It destroys friendships. And it even has the power to destroy life itself, ending in death. Addicts come in all shapes and sizes, and the Bible acknowledges that, that addiction is a real problem. In his, his instructions to Timothy about who could be in church leadership, the Apostle Paul, he said these words. He says, uh, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. The Bible acknowledges addiction is a problem. And the biggest reason that addiction is a problem is because addiction, what it does is it causes my life to be centered on something other than God. It causes my life to be centered on that thing. Jesus isn't my Lord. Food is, or porn is, or Facebook is, or my job is, or getting my next shot of liquor becomes my, my focus. I live for these things. And my heart and my mind is centered on them rather than on Jesus. And any time that we elevate something in our lives before God, we no longer simply have an addiction problem. What we actually have is an idolatry problem. God no longer sits on the throne of our hearts as Lord and King. Instead, that addiction does. And in the Bible, we read about how the, there's the nation of Israel and how the nation of Israel um, was constantly obsessing over these things called idols. And uh, they were addicted to them. God was constantly warning them, hey, you got to get away from these. He was calling them back to himself. And then on one occasion, God says this to them, he sa and he says it to us this morning. He says, um, each of you get rid of the vile images you are so obsessed with. Do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not listen. They did not get rid of the vile images they were obsessed with or forsake the idols of Egypt. They're like, no, God, we'll keep our alcohol addiction, we'll keep our addiction to work, we'll keep our addiction to social media, we'll keep our addiction to Vicodin, to shopping, whatever it might be. And what they didn't, really re what they didn't realize and what God was trying desperately to help them see is that they didn't just have an addiction problem, they had an idolatry problem. They were worshiping something else as Lord and Savior rather than worshiping God. Ed Welch He's a, a well-known and respected Christian clinical psychologist. He says this about addiction. He says, an addiction is a worship disorder. Instead of worshiping the, the divine king, addicts worship idols that temporarily satisfy a physical, emotional, or spiritual desire. The addiction satisfies a desire, and before you know it, that addiction has become the most important thing in your life. Maybe you discovered that the number of likes that you get on Facebook or Instagram makes you feel valued, it makes you feel approved, it makes you feel like something else, and so then before you know it, rather than going to God to meet that need, you're going to social media. Or maybe you find that drugs or alcohol or food, it satisfies your desire for peace. What it does is it gets rid of the pain, it gets rid of the anxiety, it gets rid of all that stuff, and so you keep going back to it to meet that need rather than going to God. For me, with poker, I found that, that it, was, it came at a time in life where I was just bored. I, I was just lacking purpose. I was just playing life safe. And so I found that what, what poker 
what gambling and the, the rush that came with gambling, the need that it satisfied for me is I just had this, 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 this urge for adventure, for purpose, to be doing something, to just be living on the edge, living by faith. And rather than going to God for that, I was going to poker. In the end, whenever you make something else, Lord and Savior, in your life other than God, it leads to destruction. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And so how do you find freedom from an addiction? How do, you, how do you cut the cords of slavery in your life? You know, something that I'm discovering more and more and more in life is that the road to freedom, the road to, to Christian maturity, the road to emotional health, to spiritual health, even physical health, that the road to all these things is actually not very complicated. In fact, it's, it's fairly straightforward and it's fairly simple, but it's really, really hard. It's really hard. And it's no different when it comes to being free of your addiction. The steps are actually simple, but they're really, really hard. And the first thing that you have to do is you have to admit that you have a problem. That sounds simple, but when you've just blown thousands of dollars on online poker and your wife doesn't know, that's really, really hard. That's really, really hard. When you've got a closet addiction to, to alcohol and, and you've been hiding it, having to confess that to somebody is really, really hard. But you have to admit to yourself and admit to God and perhaps most importantly, Admit to a trusted friend or family member that you've got a problem. You might want to have someone over for coffee. Maybe pull somebody aside after church. Maybe invite someone to go for a walk with you. And then it's as simple as saying, I'm addicted to fill in the blank. Would you pray with me? I, I need help. I need help. But you have to admit you have a problem. Stop rationalizing with thoughts like, I drink a little too much every now and then, but, but it's not really an addiction. You know, I spend hours on the internet because, you know, it's just part of life these days. I just, I just got to stay connected. No, you need to call it what it is. It's an addiction. And in Scripture, there's a word for admitting that you've got a problem. That word is confession. It's, a, it's admitting. And when it comes to addiction, the road to freedom always starts with confession. This is a principle from Scripture, a verse that you hear me read all the time around here that's so important to growth. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Not just confess your sin to God, but confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I would still, to this day, be hiding an addiction to gambling had I not confessed to Becky that I had squandered thousands of dollars. And hundreds and hundreds of hours on gambling. You have to admit you have a problem. That's where freedom begins. And the next, admit that you can't beat it. The biggest mistake that, that I made and the biggest mistake that I, I think that most addicts make is thinking that willpower enough is going to be enough to break it. They think, okay, I, if I just try really hard, buckle down, set some parameters, avoid the liquor aisle, set up some, some filters on my computer, disconnect from social media for a few days, then I can beat this. Wrong. You can't beat it, at least not on your own, which leads to the last three steps. Admit to God that you desperately need his help. Admit to God, God, I have got this addiction here, and I, I cannot break it. I need your help. And, and the Bible says this, he gives power to the weak and strength to the, the powerless. Cry out to him for help. 
Let him know that you desperately need him. Then next, get help from people who can help. Get help from people who can help. Your addiction might be something that, that you need. Uh, your friends and family, it's, yeah, admit to, the, to, to trusted friends and family, but you might actually need to go a step further and get, get, some, get some help from people who can help. Maybe it's, it's AA for the alcohol, alcoholic. Maybe for the drug abuser, it's Narcotics Anonymous. Maybe for the social media addict or the gambling addict, it might be setting up some kind of plan with, with friends and family. It might involve going to a professional counselor. There's resources available everywhere for someone that is serious about getting help. Um, our church, we would love to do whatever we can to help you get, get free. Um, communication card. Fill out a commu- com- communication card and say, hey, I'd like to talk to somebody about some stuff that I'm going through. Um, this fall, we don't have a going right now, but our hope and prayer this fall is to launch a, a, a recovery ministry in our church, um, but, but we want to be serious as a church about helping people that, that are stuck in addiction. You can fill out a card, you can email us, Facebook message us, we would love to help, but get help from people who can help. Next, um, get, in a, get in healthy Christian community. Healthy Christian community. Remember, you, you can't beat this on your own. Having people in your life who love and care about you, who will pray for you, who will hold you accountable, show you grace, and show you mercy. Man, I can't tell you how important it was for me getting freedom from gambling, having people in my life, Becky being probably the, the most important one, who just said, you know what, Rich? This sucks that you've blown thousands of dollars, but I love you anyways. We're going to get through this together. I can't tell you how much having someone else in my life show me grace when I felt like a complete failure, how, how powerful that was in helping me break free. But you've got to get in healthy Christian community. And I think that one thing you'll find about this church here is that we are big on authenticity. We are big on grace. We know that, that we are all in the same boat. We're all broken. None of us are perfect. We all have stuff in our lives Get in healthy community, though, where you're going to find people that are going to walk alongside of you. Dive into church. Um, most of our small groups aren't meeting regularly over the summer, but in the fall, when they kick back up, get in a small group. Get people around you who, who are going to be there for you um, and, and help you, as you with, with what you struggle with. Next, stand firm in your gospel identity as you walk in your freedom. Rich, what the heck do you mean by my gospel identity? I'm standing here before you today free from a gambling addiction, and, and I would not be able to say that were it not for the gospel. The Bible says this, um, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. One pastor, he described the gospel message, message like this, it's the good news that in the midst of our hopeless and helpless circumstance, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save sinners like you and me. The gospel, the Bible says, is the power of God. The gospel is what saves. And it doesn't just save in, an et- in the eternal sense of salvation. It also saves in the everyday sense. The gospel destroys the addiction to porn. It destroy- destroys the addiction to alcohol, to drugs. And here's why. It's because when I live in the reality that Jesus loves me despite the ugly, hideous nature of my sin, 
I am devastated and I'm drawn to him at the exact same time. When I live in the reality of God's love for me, I'm able to admit to myself, I'm able to admit to God, I'm able to admit to others um, that I've got a problem. Their acceptance or rejection doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I go, the gospel says that Jesus loves me no matter what. So I can walk in the light of God, I can walk in authenticity, I can walk and just let people know that, that I, I've struggled with gambling, it still is a draw and an allure to this day, and it doesn't matter if you're out there going, Rich, man, I can't believe that, because when I live in the light of the gospel, I go, Jesus loves me no matter what. His love for me doesn't change. In fact, he's so crazy about me that in my worst condition, in my worst state, when I was at my lowest of lows, he died for me. He gave his life for me so that I could experience healing and wholeness. And when you live in the light of the gospel, it changes things. It brings freedom. It brings wholeness. It's the gospel that saves. It's not more knowledge, wise counsel, great parenting skills, better programs, deeper community, transparent accountability groups, or eloquent preaching. It has always been and always will be the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. Center your life around Jesus. Wrap your life around the gospel. Wrap it in the amazing grace, the steadfast love, the sin-conquering death, and life-giving resurrection of Jesus. It's there that you will find salvation for your soul, freedom from your chains, and blessing for your life. This is how you can find freedom, freedom from your addiction. But what, what about, so maybe someone here is going, yeah, this is awesome, Rich, but, but um, what do I do about the person in my life that's struggling with an addiction? How do I help someone else, um, uh, uh, mom or dad or brother or sister or son or daughter or uncle or aunt or grandma? How, how do I help a friend? How do I help them get free from an addiction? Here's, here's what you can do if you know or you suspect that someone is an addict. And just got two things here. First thing is this. Look into it rather than turn a blind eye because of fear or busyness. Look into it. You know, it can, it can just seem easier to just ignore it. After all, if you, if you ask about all the, the drinking or if you ask about the late nights on the computer, if you express that you think there's an issue, I mean, that gets uncomfortable, doesn't it? It really hurt in a, in a hurry. It starts to um, bring up a lot of pain. On top of that, you might just simply be scared of how deep that addiction might go. Or maybe you're just too busy, never seems to be the right time, so you just kind of push it aside or decide to just turn a blind eye. You think, okay, maybe later on I'll come back to that. But Listen, turning a blind eye is not helping your friend or family member get free. Yes, looking into it, will be hard. In fact, I'm pretty sure someone in the room right now is terrified about the thought of looking into that addiction or looking into that thing that's going on that you suspect might mean an addiction. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, it will be painful. But it could very well be the thing that saves that person from a deadly destructive addiction. Look into it rather than turn a blind eye because of fear or busyness. And then next, lovingly confront. And you're going to need wisdom on how to do this. Um, the scriptural model for addressing someone that's in sin is one-on-one. Is, is -on -one. 
If that doesn't work, bring alongside some trusted friends and, and family members in 12-step world. This is called intervention. But friends, relatives, church leaders who love the addict, call, bring them in. Call, call that person to, to repent and then present a plan. Galatians 6, 1-2 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, I mean, doesn't that just, doesn't that just put very succinctly what addiction is. If someone is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into that same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Lovingly confront. Finding Dory right now is, is the big movie out there, isn't it? Anybody seen it yet? Finding Dory? No? Okay, wow. Is anybody excited to see it, like me? Okay, here you are, all right. But it's kind of the big movie, but I got to tell you, Finding Nemo has a, a place in my heart. Um, and the reason is, 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 I think a lot of it's because of my, of my journey. But there's this scene, and you, may, you might remember the scene where ne- Nemo is trapped in the fish tank. Remember that he gets scooped up, and they take him off to Australia, and they put him in the fish tank, and he's trapped. And then Scar comes along and says, hey, Scar, or Nemo, I got this great plan to help you get free. And they they go up the little suction pipe thing there, and Nemo gets stuck and scared, and he comes back out. And then he just, he's discouraged. And Scar comes along and says, okay, I got a better plan, Nemo. I got a plan that's going to help you get free. It's going to help you get out. But Nemo's not having any of it at all. He's just, he's discouraged. He feels like he can't do it. He just, he's hopeless, he's just in despair, he's just settled into the fact that he's going to be stuck, captive, inside of this tank. He's resigned himself to his captivity. But then one day, that all changes. Because along comes the seagull, I can't remember his name, what's the seagull's name, anybody? Seagull, okay, that works. But along comes the seagull, and the seagull comes... Nemo, you're not going to believe what's going on right now. Your dad is out there. He's braving the oceans. He's braving these scary creatures. I heard he stood up to three sharks. And all of a sudden, Nemo changes. Something changes inside. And all of a sudden, while they're having this conversation, the other fish are over here. All of a sudden, Nemo goes off, and he swims up the pipe, and he puts the rock in there. All of a sudden, it shuts down the tank, and they come out, and there's Nemo. All of a sudden, something has changed. Hope has risen within him, and he gets the courage and the faith to do what he needs to do because he knows that his dad, his dad, is fighting for his freedom. And if you're here this morning, and you find yourself trapped, you find yourself trapped in a deadly addiction, or you know somebody, that's trapped in a deadly addiction, and you're scared this morning. You're going, the thought of telling somebody what I'm going through is so scary. The thought of where this might lead freaks me out. I want you to understand something that, about the God that I serve. I can't talk and cry at the same time, I'm sorry. <laughs> My God specializes in setting people free. In fact, the Bible says that he's on a mission. He came on a mission to set the captives free. 
to set the oppressed free. And this God of mine, he's not wimpy. If you've got this picture of Jesus as being this wimpy guy, that's not the God I serve. The God I serve, the Bible says that he's a warrior, that he's a fighter, and that he will move heaven and earth, even storm the gates of hell itself in order to set you free. And if you're here this morning and you're feeling like you're, you're discouraged, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're here and you're just you're stuck in a, just a despair, or you know somebody that's in that place, but you don't, you're scared about helping out, I want you to know this morning that God came to set captives free. When we're here this morning, we're singing about, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the resurrected king, I believe that he's alive. We really do believe that. I mean, I've tasted that myself. I was in a hopeless place, and he came along, and he set me free. And you've got to know something. He can do the same for you. He can do the same to you. I would encourage you to look to Jesus. Look to him. The Bible says, we just read about it, that, that, he, that he gives help. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know that he's here to give you strength. He's here, he's here to give you power to set you free. He's here to do that for you. Just reach out to him. You got to admit you need help. You got to admit the place that you're in. And as you go to him, as you go to others, he will come. He will flood you with his grace, with his mercy, and I believe he can set you free. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I lift up anybody in this room this morning who is struggling with an addiction, Lord, you know and they know what that is this morning. And Lord, I pray that, Father, this morning, that this, this moment right here would mark the moment, God, where, where they look back 5, 10, 15 years ago, 15 years from now, and they say that was the moment where God began to set me free. Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, Jesus, that you would, you would begin to break the chains Lord, I pray, Father, that courage would begin to rise up. Lord, I pray for the person here that's just completely hopeless and full of despair. Lord, I know that awful, awful place to be. God, I pray for the person that's there right now, that, Father, that in this moment, faith, faith would begin to stir up deep down inside their soul. That just enough faith, God, to to. to, to to push them to go and to admit to a trusted friend or family member, somebody that they've got a problem, that they need help. God, I pray that faith would begin to rise up today. Faith in a God who heals. Faith in a God who is all-powerful. Faith in a God who came to set captives free. Lord, may faith in you rise up. And Father, I pray that, Jesus, you would set captives free. Set captives free. Jesus, for the person here this morning who is suspecting that someone in their life who they love and they care about has got an addiction, Lord, I pray this morning that, Father, you'd give them the courage. Lord, for that spouse this morning who is suspecting that their spouse is into something they shouldn't be into, and right now in this moment, they're just terrified. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that they would just know that, Father, you're walking with them. That, that Jesus, you care so much for them, that you care so much for their, their spouse, for their family. Jesus, I pray that, Father, you would you'd give them the courage, Jesus, to, to look straight into what's going on, to lovingly confront, 
to speak the truth in love. And God, work through those conversations, Jesus, to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to bring freedom, I pray. And Lord, lastly, I want to pray for our church. God, I want to be, about a, I want to be a church, Jesus. God, where we just don't come and do our thing every week and then just leave and Father, I pray that we'd be a church that's about setting captives free. God, there's so much pain. There's so much addiction. There's so much bondage. God, often we don't see it, but God, it's out there. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that is like a city on a hill. God, for the addict. God, that they would, they would see us not just us in the corporate sense of us, but God, us as we're in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. God, and that we would be people that you work through, God, to bring freedom to the captive, uh, sight to the blind. Father, I pray that we would be people of hope where there's no hope. That, God, we would be people of light where there's darkness. God, work through us, work through this church, God, to see many, many, many souls set free, I pray. Father, we ask all this in your good, good name. Everybody said, amen.